what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This episode of the Caregiver Community is sponsored by Pace at Home. During this uncertain time, Pace at Home is enrolling participants who wish to continue to remain at home. Partnering with families, Pace at Home provides caring medical support for all of our program's participants. Visit us on our website or give us a call at 828-468-3980 to talk with a representative that can discuss with you the Pace at Home all-inclusive medical approach. Pace at Home is the champion for seniors wishing to remain in their community. Welcome to the Caregiver Community. This is a place where we talk about the joys and the challenges of caring for our aging parents as well as caring for ourselves. I am Frances Hall, founder and executive director of ACAP, Adult Children of Aging Parents. In this podcast, we're talking about the long process of grieving a parent with dementia. Our interviewee is Reverend Dr. Susan Roddy. Dr. Roddy is the Director of Spiritual Life and Chaplain at Abernathy Laurels, an every age continuing care retirement community in in Newton, North Carolina. She is also a pastoral pastoral counselor with extensive training and experience in grief counseling. At Abernathy Laurels, she provides emotional support and spiritual support to residents with dementia and their families and co-facilitates an Alzheimer's Association caregiver support group. Just to be completely transparent, Every Age is ACAP Community's corporate sustaining partner. Susan, we are delighted to have you with us today to talk about such an important topic. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you. <laughs> good, good. Okay, the, I, I want us to have as much time as possible because I know that the journey of caring for someone who has dementia is extremely difficult. And particularly, as, as we've said, that long process of grieving. What it talk about for a moment, what is unique about the process of grief for adult children of parents with dementia or anybody who has a loved one with dementia? What is what is that grief process like? Well, it's elongated. And I was as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the difference between when my father died and my father-in-law died. Uh, My father died several years ago. Um, He had been having some difficulties uh, and he was then hospitalized for a month. Uh, And that was a very painful month for us. Um, But he did not have a long illness. And so when he died, We grieved and we went through and continue to go through, especially my mother, um, the different cycles of grief. But we had not gone through the process like we had with my father-in-law who died of Alzheimer's. And with uh, being the, the child of somebody with Alzheimer's, it is a 
process that goes through stages um, as the person declines and goes through different stages of the illness. And uh, from the beginning, it is a, a gradual loss that at times accelerates. Um, and with each stage a person goes through, you feel a, a deepening level of loss. And one of the things that I think is unique to the, somebody uh, who has Alzheimer's or dementia-related um, illness is that unlike somebody who may have a long-term chronic illness, they get to a point, most do, not all, where they don't recognize you anymore. And... Uh, where when you come, they may mistake you for someone else or just have no idea who you are. And as a child, that can be very painful. As a spouse, it can be painful. But there is a, a grief that comes with that that I don't believe you experience with uh, grieving the loss of somebody in other ways. Um, and so... It's, it's a process, and I think in the process of grief, you go through cycles of grief. Um, and, and there's, of course, always discussion about different stages of grief. And I think uh, people do experience stages of grief with, with this loss, as they do with others. But the stages aren't all always sequential, um, and they cycle back on each other. And so oftentimes you'll hear someone say, I thought I had finally grieved this, but I find that I'm going through it all over again. And it is exhausting and wearing and disheartening um, and a process where you need to find communities that can give you a lot of understanding. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I have a good friend whose mother had had all, well, I, I'm not sure that they considered it Alzheimer's, but definitely severe dementia and reached a point that she didn't know the daughter. And it was so heartbreaking for her, um, but at the same time, she—I think she sort of took the took the stance that she may not know me, but I know her, and continued to be very present. Yes, um, during that time. Well, and I think that when we are when we look down the road and know that our parents will die someday, we don't, unless we've had uh, another close family relative that perhaps is genetically related. We don't think about the process that you go through with somebody with dementia and Alzheimer's. And we don't think that our parent who uh, was with us from our very moment of birth, hopefully, um, won't recognize us someday. That just seems so, you just don't think about that happening. Right, right. Not unless you know someone who has who has been on that path, uh, or you know, or have some reason to know that. And even if we know it academically, to experience it 
in, in our hearts and in our souls is just very, very different. Yes, I think so. And, and I think you're right that um, to change the focus as you go through that grief, which is really in the final stages of somebody having the illness, although that could go on sometimes for years still, um, but to focus, to refocus on how you know that person um, is a very helpful way to do it. And uh, to know that even though they forget you, uh, your presence with them is still quite meaningful. Right, right, right. Okay, so what... This is a really good segue. Um, what are the different ways that people respond to the ongoing losses that come with the disease? You've talked about that that it's like it's a it's a progression. It's a continual shifting and changing and circling back. You know, so how how do people do this? Well, I think. Again, you can look at certain stages of grieving that we look at with anybody who's grieving. And and again, these stages aren't necessarily sequential, and sometimes you don't necessarily have a particular stage. Go through it. Everybody grieves differently. Uh, but I do think that one of the difficulties uh, that people face when the diagnosis has been made, when the person is first experiencing symptoms, is acknowledging the reality of that. And that, uh, and when you acknowledge the reality, the grief comes up. And so it, we often go into denial to push away the grief. And I I don't think that that's an uncommon thing to go through. Um, and the denial can be, you can accept the diagnosis, but still deny the impact it's having on the person. Or you can see the symptoms that the person is beginning to manifest, but minimize those. Um, often it's said, well, that person is just, getting old. Well, we know that Alzheimer's is a disease and dementia are disease processes and they're not just getting old, but in the beginning with the forgetfulness and things like that, it can seem like that. Um, but uh, I have experienced with families going through this with children and with uh, spouses that um the denial sometimes uh, of fully accepting the diagnosis like that can push away the grief, but also make it difficult to do the things you need to do early on in terms of interventions and in terms of keeping a person safe. Um, so sometimes people say it's just old age and don't go to a neurologist and get an assessment made. And there are pharmaceutical interventions that it's important to start early um, for them to uh, be able to 
prolong the person's uh, ability uh, to continue to function well and so forth. Um, and so when you sort of minimize symptoms that you're beginning to see, then you uh, often don't get the help you need. Or I've seen it in cases where um, people are in denial and don't put safeguards into place, don't put alarms on doors, for example, if the person is a wanderer, um, and don't take certain precautions uh, like putting a tracker on someone and finding different ways of doing that. Um, and, and so that's, denial is not at all an unusual part of grief. Um, and it's a way that we cope with grief and protect ourselves from it. But that can be in the long run something that is uh, is harmful in some way. I think that uh, people, in, when they're going through the grief of losing someone to Alzheimer's or dementia, also experience uh, a variety of emotions, and it's confusing because emotions come and go through an experience like that, and. Um, some days you're feeling the intensity of the grief. Some days you're feeling less so. But you go through emotions like um, anger, uh, that anger that this person has this diagnosis, um, anger uh, that at, oftentimes I see anger at God. Um, what is the purpose of this? Um, particularly as a person um, moves more and more into the later stages of Alzheimer's, why doesn't God just take them? Or uh, is this some kind of cruel thing um, that God does? And so the grief can be compounded by what uh, people may go through spiritually. Um, there's also just... Um, the things that, that go on with the exhaustion of grief over a prolonged period of time that can sometimes make you feel like you're losing your mind. Um, when we get exhausted, we tend to forget things. Uh, we tend to uh, not be as organized. There's a lot of details to manage as a caregiver for somebody with Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, we may struggle um, to carry, to do all of that. And uh, so those factors uh, make it also difficult for you to understand yourself and what you're going through in this process. Right, right. I, I, I think the spiritual part of this for the people of faith, regardless of regardless of denomination or faith expression, regardless of any of that, there is a piece of this that 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 gets touched without question. It gets yes. touched. Um, I want to go back, though, to the safety issues because there are so many devices out there now. Um, but I do want to highlight one that that surfaced for me several years ago. And it's called Project Lifesaver. Yes. 
okay, you know of this. Yes. Um, and in our area, people go to, the, I think it's the sheriff's office to, to find out about it and to get it. But it is truly a lifesaver. I have a friend whose father was found. Um, this was, I guess, sort of in the mid stages of his dementia. Um, and all of a sudden he was missing, just gone. And they had no clue where he was. And they found him on a railroad track. Mm. Um, and this was in the dead of winter and he didn't even have a jacket on. Wow. And just, you know, it's a, it was a perfect storm for him to have really, really dire consequences from this. And soon thereafter, they learned about Project Lifesaver and put the device on on the father. And that was the last time that they at least had that worry for yes. him. Yes. So, so it not only is for the person to keep that person safe, but it also is for the caregiver or the family to say, you know, at least there's one part of this that we don't have to be so concerned about. Yes. Yeah. And and that's where I think it's um, when we're in denial of some of these things, because, as I said, it's a defense against grief, um, but it keeps us from doing the things that we need to do for the safety of that person and um, for their health and well-being. And I think there's there's just this slow progression of losing a person, their personality, um, their ability. They may have been your resource, the person you went to um, when you had struggles, their ability uh, or their not being able to be in that role anymore. Um to see somebody who, I mean, my, my father-in-law was a phenomenal pediatrician and he loved to learn. He was always on a spiritual quest, reading whatever he could. Um, he was a very active person and very funny man. And to see that personality ebbing away over time, it's it, it that elongated process is really wearing, and it's a constant reminder of what you're losing um, that just can wear away your spirit and your energy um, so that people really end up depleted. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And how heartbreaking and how overwhelming it is to watch this process um, and, and and to feel like, oh, my heavens, how do I how do I stop this? Mm -hmm. How do I stop this train? And yeah. doing and so many caregivers are trying everything they can to take care of their loved one, but also to try to halt you know, figure out how do, how do you stop this train or how do you at least slow it down, which gets back to your points of, yes, there are things that can be done 
not to, at this point, we don't have a cure for dementia, but there certainly are medications and treatments that can help um, help it not be so, so difficult, particularly in the early stages. And the whole thing of how, how do we deal with someone? How do we interact with someone who yeah. has dementia? And that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother topic. Yes. Um, there, there are things that we can do that really help this or can make it really more, much more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've talked some about this, but you, you talked some about the conflicting emotions, but specifically around what, what we want for parents or for loved ones who have dementia. Can you talk more about that? Yes, I think that um, what I see um, so much with the conflicting emotions is people struggling with guilt. Um, I think, you know, grief gets very complicated when you add a layer, a dimension of guilt. And the guilt is often about feelings you may be having and about um, things that you wish you could do for your parent that you come to a place of limitations that you can't provide anymore. So, um, you know, I think with the guilt, it it can be about so many different things. Um, A lot of people who are primary caregivers um, or even secondary or so forth feel guilt when they get angry at the person for their behaviors, for continuing to ask the same thing over and over and over again all day long, um, for, uh, for behaviors that they may have where they may lash out and anger the the uh, parent themselves. And when we feel anger and frustrated towards someone that on an intellectual level we may know can't help their behavior, that really brings up a lot of guilt um, that I shouldn't be feeling that way. I should be more patient. But the reality is that you are going to get angry and frustrated with your loved one who has Alzheimer's or dementia. And that is normal. And so it is uh, trying to find a place where you can process those emotions. And, And not only you have to continue to work on trying to be patient with that person, but also patient with yourself. And so we can have a lot of conflicting feelings about that. Um, I think that also in the grief process, um, one of the biggest uh, things that we grieve is when we have to make a decision to uh, have that person, that parent admitted to a memory care um facility or household. Uh, 
And that can be complicated in many ways. Uh, I know it's not uncommon sometimes for children to make promises to their parent that they will never, ever put them in a facility. And those promises at the time are out of love and protective feelings. Sometimes the parent makes the child promise that or push a lot of pressure on the child to promise that. But when that happens and you reach the stage with your loved one that um, physically or emotionally um, you can no longer care for them um, and can't afford 24-hour care for them. Um, it, then difficult decisions have to be made, and sometimes you break that promise. And with that comes the uh, grief of not being able and feeling like a, a failing of being able to keep your parent in their home or in your home. Um, and also guilt about breaking a promise. But when you made that promise, you had no idea really what it was like to take this journey, caregiving somebody um, with Alzheimer's or some form of dementia. And so there are sometimes we have to make, break promises um, for the well-being of that person. And so I think grief and guilt all come up when we face our limitations as a caregiver um, and realize that this is not going to turn out ideally as you wanted it to or as your parent wanted it to. Right. And I often have said, even with my journey with my mother, um, that safety, we can't compromise on safety for that loved one. And so often a, a situation in which, in which a loved one has dementia, that becomes a safety issue for them and sometimes for the caregiver also. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I'm really glad that you talked about that because it's so difficult for so many people who have who've said never, ever, ever, Will I place my loved one in in a community? But but there are times that that truly is the most loving and the, and the certainly the safest thing that can be done for that loved one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And letting go of that role of being the primary caregiver. You're still very much in a caregiving role when your loved one goes into like a memory care household or something like that. But it's sometimes it's very difficult to step back and let other people care. And I think particularly for people who are struggling with understandable anger about this whole process, um, who are, um, quite rightly advocating for their parent, which you always have to do, but um, reach a point where it's so hard to let go that 
they are without meaning to sometimes interfering with the nursing care that a person needs to give, um, to get or receive. Um, that can be a very complicated process to go through that letting go when you've been the one in charge of their schedule, you've been the one administering medications and talking with the doctor about those medications. Um, when you've been the one who's controlled their environment, um, that brings up guilt, but it also brings up another process in, in the grieving, another stage. It's like, well, it's, it's like um, when, as a parent of children, you first take them to the nursery and have to leave and let go, and they're crying after you, and you have to trust um, that they will be taken care of. And so that's very hard. Oh, it is. It is very, very difficult. Um, we're, we're kind of talking about other people getting involved, but I know sometimes other people, as well intended as they are, and I'm not talking professionals, I'm talking like our friends and other family members and, and just other people in general, can really make the grieving more difficult um, that they say things or do things. What do you think are some of the expectations or assumptions that others make that sometimes makes the journey even more difficult and the grief journey even more difficult? Well, I think you're right that well-intentioned people, particularly people who've never been through this in some way with family or a close friend, um, have assumptions and also are trying to make you feel better so that um, often uh, in the early stages of dementia or Alzheimer's, um, in, in the public, you can't tell that that person has that because they are able to put up a facade um, and uh, are able to compensate in some ways. And so, but you know, when you live with them or are with them on a continual basis, what the losses are that are going on cognitively. Um, and so oftentimes people will try to make you feel better by just saying things like, well, he's just getting old. Or um, if, have you thought about... Um, trying to uh, teach them a new way to handle something, um, thinking that this is a cognitive issue that's teachable, um, that you can teach somebody out of being this way. Um, and, and when people make assumptions in that way and, and minimize you're saying is going on, then it makes you feel more isolated from people and that people don't understand. And this can be particularly difficult in families when some members of the family see the decline and the slow, or sometimes it's not slow, but the loss of 
memory and of cognition, whereas other family members, particularly if they live at a distance, um, aren't seeing this and think you're overreacting. I think um, another painful set of assumptions that people make is later on down uh, the process of the stages that people go through with dementia is um, assuming that once that person can't remember you, that there's no point in really going to visit. Or when, once that person can't remember that you visit, what's the point? They won't remember anyway. Um, and I think that comes out of our discomfort with that and our grief with that, but also comes sometimes just from a well-meaning assumption that really there's no point to making visits anymore, particularly when the person becomes nonverbal um, and it's, it's very difficult to sit with somebody who's nonverbal and interact. But this is when often you see uh, visitors from church drop away or friends drop away. Um, and where what gets lost is the value of being with that person in that moment and interacting with them, touching them, looking in their eyes, smiling, singing a hymn, saying a familiar prayer. Um, long visits aren't necessary, but in that moment, that person is experiencing love and care in that moment is just as important as any other moment. That is such an important point that, that the bottom line is they may not know you. They may not be able to call your name or identify your relationship with them, but they still can experience the care and the compassion and the love and the tenderness and the presence. Yes. That's a really good point, Susan. Yeah. So turning to, to the caregiver, this is this can be such an excruciating journey. And as you said earlier, can last for years. This is not this is not a sprint. This definitely is a marathon often. Mm-hmm. So what do you what kind of recommendations do you have? For those caregivers, the people who are who who have a loved one who has dementia, oh, what do you recommend for them to sustain themselves during this long goodbye? And what, and what kind of sources and resources are available for people for support? Well, I think the single most important thing you can do is find people or a community who get it. Um, people who have had to make the same or the similar journey, no journey's the same, but people who are going through the same things you are going through. Um, 
And you can do this in a variety of ways, just naturally by people you know, or people you've heard have gone through this or are going through this and reaching out to them. Also, by uh, becoming a member of something like uh, the Alzheimer Association Caregiver Support Group, uh, our group meets monthly. And what is so valuable for the people who come is hearing other people resonate with their emotions and their experiences. Um, people who understand all the spectrum of feelings that you go through with this, uh, people who can encourage you and who can cry with you. And even if you're not one of those people who are real touchy-feely um, and you may not talk a whole lot, just finding that community um, can be reassuring. Um, and I know in our group that nobody's ever made to talk um, or made to share what they don't want to share. But I, I find that that significantly helps people. They have a feeling of real visceral relief when they find others who are going through a similar experience. So that helps with isolation and that helps you process uh, the many different emotions and your grief that's going on inside. Um, education is such an important part of this journey too, to sustain yourself so that uh, you are understanding the stages your loved one is going through. It helps give perspective to their behavior. Um, and sometimes we can lose perspective on that. When somebody is acting out what we would call acting out behaviorally in ways that may be aggressive, um, angry, um, crying constantly, um, just uh, even sometimes physically uh, acting out. To know how to learn to read the signs of what that person may be trying to communicate is important, um, such as whether they are um, wet or whether they are thirsty or any number of those things that they may not be able to identify any longer in their body and tell you what's going on. But also just understanding it's so bewildering um, when a person you love, as in some dementias, becomes angry and swears and cusses and says things that sometimes things, sometimes things that this person never would have said or done. Um, and that can be just so heartbreaking to see even the gentlest, kindest person with some dementias, not all, can become a very angry person who says inappropriate things and acts in inappropriate ways. And so again, education and the support of a support group 
help give perspective and help us understand how the disease pro- progresses neurologically and um, how this person is also trying to communicate. So that's a very important means of sustaining yourself. And resources that help you with that are adult children of aging parents, an organization uh, like this. Um, Alzheimer's Association has a multitude of resources online um, that go into depth about the different types of dementia, about what caregivers experience, the stress they go through, about understanding behaviors, um, and finding those resources. A book that I recommend is uh, one called No Act of Love is Ever Wasted. And uh, it's the spirituality of caring for persons with dementia. And I love the title of that because that gets back into, again, being in the present moment. Even if 10 minutes later that person can't remember, it's not a wasted moment. And I think also um, saying um, if you are part of a community of faith, when you're caregiving someone, oftentimes um, you just get disconnected because you can't go maybe to worship services anymore or attend Bible studies or fellowship gatherings. Um, and it's really important for churches um, and the community in churches and pastoral staff um, not to disconnect from caregivers and from their loved ones, but it's important that you make efforts to stay in connection with your faith community. And with this um, goes along also having to just put self-care at a priority at a time when it's very difficult to find time for self-care making sure that you set aside those times regularly where you can um, pray, where you can meditate, if that's something that's helpful to you. The practice of centering prayer is a wonderful practice um, that can particularly help. It's it's a practice, you have to learn it, but it can be helpful. Uh, Reading devotional readings, There's a lot of churches now have online groups for Bible studies. Um, And so pulling on resources like that. And also, uh, I find a lot of caregivers are reluctant to do this. But really realizing you cannot do it all by yourself. And if you are able to, scheduling in a companion to come at times uh, during the week, particularly if this person is living with you, to give you a break. And sometimes caregivers don't want to do that because their loved one doesn't like somebody coming into the house um, and protests. Um, but it's really important if at all possible, to draw a boundary and just to leave and go do something 
to take care of yourself, even if your parent is making you guilty or protesting somebody else being in their house. Yeah, there are so many things that can be done. Um, I know that it is extremely difficult for caregivers to take the time and to put themselves as a priority at all. Mm-hmm. But I think the bottom line is, and it's sort of what you're saying, the bottom line is that old um, airline analogy. It, you know, when the oxygen masks drop, put, put yours on first. Mm-hmm. so that then you can help someone else. And that's what's so difficult in, in this journey, the intensity of this journey. Um, it can be extremely isolating. So make sure that you have somebody else in your corner. Mm-hmm. And if possible, to have somebody to come in and, and be in your loved one's corner also. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that it... So that you really do have an opportunity to take a break from this, um, even if it's five minutes that you get a little bit of a break. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Susan, this is such good information. Uh, Is there anything else that we need to be sure to say today that, that hasn't been said? Well, I think we've said it in so many ways, but, um, I think it's important to say clearly to be graceful with yourself, with yourself, um, and the roller coaster of emotions you may feel from anger, frustration to just um, sometimes despair. But I also want to point out that there are those times of joy still that you can have with your parent and um, times where you you laugh and uh, times where you reflect on memories with them and go through uh, photo books and times where you find that just singing a him with them brings you great joy because you see their face light up with the familiar words. There's a, a woman here, and I've seen it uh, with a number of people, but right now she's standing out to me, who has advanced stages of dementia, and she's basically nonverbal, um, although she will repeat sometimes what you say to her. But she comes into worship, and often her husband is with her, and will play a song such as Blessed Assurance. And here's this woman who has been nonverbal. She starts singing the words and knows them, and her face, which is often just flat and constricted, lights up. And her husband looks over and sees that. And you can see his face just light up. And there's joy in that, in that connection and in that spirit-filled moment. Um, And those moments are irreplaceable, too. Of really precious moments. Yes. Precious moments to treasure. Yeah. And music, you know, all the research talks about music 
um, can trigger such wonderful memories and, and can be so powerful for, for people who are in late stages of dementia. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Susan, thank you so very much for all that you have brought to us today in this podcast and for the many ways that you walk alongside families who are dealing with this difficult journey. Thanks for your insight and for your compassion. And we certainly are grateful for every age and what every age does for us with ACAP. To you, our listeners, thank you for joining us. We hope this podcast has been helpful and that you will share it with others you believe may benefit. We also certainly want to thank Pace at Home in Hickory, North Carolina. They are our sponsor for this for this podcast and all of our caregiver community podcasts. This program is part of the Mesh Network of online shows and podcasts. You may find more of our caregiver community podcasts on any of the platforms where you listen to podcasts. You will also find our podcast on our website, www.acapcommunity.org. While you're on our site, we hope you will take a few minutes to learn more about ACAP, our educational programs, and our local chapters. And if there are other topics that you would like for us to have as podcast, please do let us know. As we say so often in ACAP, regardless of our age, our background, our education, our career, or anything else, when it's our mother, our father, our loved one who needs help, caring for and advocating for that person becomes very personal and extremely important. Please care well for your loved ones, but also, as Susan has said, please also remember to take care of you. Stay well. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.